And so I know that we do these family events and they're amazing and they're awesome and they're just so awesome. And I know some of you are family or friends of the families that are here. And I know some of you, you don't know a lot about Jesus or Christianity at all. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And I want to give you an invitation to come to know him. And we believe that you're here on purpose. You think you just came to watch a baby be dedicated. Au contraire. The Lord foreknew. And whom he foreknew, he predestined. So there is a predetermined destiny upon what he already knows. So we're going to talk about this. I'm going to read for you a chapter of the Bible, John chapter 3. You ever been at like football games or sporting events, right? You ever seen somebody hold up a sign that says John 3.16, right? It comes from this chapter. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we're going to read this, the opening part of John chapter 3. And we're going to tell a story about a guy, and we're going to relate some things back to you. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus. So I want you guys to say with me. Say Pharisee, Pharisee. and Nicodemus. In the Jewish culture and in your Bible, there's two different types of religious leaders. Jesus was born into the Jewish culture. He was an observant Jew. He is God-made man, God-become man. And the Jewish culture was designed to not be a democracy, was not designed to be a republic. The Jewish people were designed to be a theocracy, which means that their society was to be governed by God in the spirit through groups of religious leaders. And they were responsible to interact with the, God, with the Lord in the spirit and follow the Lord's ways and lead the people in the Lord's ways. And there are basically two different groups of these religious leaders. The first one, help me out, is Pharisee. Pharisee. And the second one is Sadducee. Pharisee. So the Pharisees, what they were is religious rule keepers. These are the guys that dot the I's and cross the T's. And make sure everything was correct. Make sure all the ducks are in a row. These guys took what God had instructed and constricted it. Or they made it very difficult for the people to follow. They put religious rules and religious mandates on things the Lord had told them to do. Such as God says, I want everybody to have a day of rest. And in that day of rest, I want them to come and worship me. And I want to release something into their lives. And I want to make them understand who they are. And I want to refresh them. Well, the Pharisees said, you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't walk more than this much time on the Sabbath. And they had taken it to the degree that you can't even spit. Because if you spit on the Sabbath, you move the earth, thereby they considered that plowing. That's a little extreme, would you not say? Yeah. So they were fair, you see. Then we have another group of people that were Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. And that's very sad, you see. It's true. That's how you know the difference. And the difference in this, in, between these people is that Jesus always conversed with the Pharisees. So some of the arguments that are going on, if you read your Bible, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see that Jesus is talking, and he's saying these really hard things, and he's saying them to Pharisees and scribes, he's saying them to these people because they were responsible to lead the people. And they were, he never gives this to people. This is what's, what needs to be understood. 
Jesus' harshest words were never to people. It was to his religious leaders who were failing in their duty to lead the people in the ways that God had designed and intended. Jesus said, you strain out a camel. This is one of the things he said to the Pharisees. You strain out a camel, but you consume a gnat. You travel the earth to find one person who will convert to me, and you make him twice a child of hell as you are. You laden him down with burdens that you yourselves can't even bear. Brood of vipers, generation of snakes, white men, whitewashed tombs full of old men, dead men's bones. Outwardly you look amazing, but inwardly you're dead. And you are that which lead my people. These are the things that Jesus would say. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, of course, but you get the idea. The Sadducees, he didn't even talk to them. You find very little passages. And so what does it mean? It means that Jesus was trying to take these Pharisees who were close, but they were off. And he's trying to get them to understand the heart of what it is that he intended. And then he takes this group of Sadducees and he doesn't even talk to them. Why? Because the problem is they didn't believe the word of God. So what conversation are we possibly going to have? And then the second thing is, is they didn't believe in the power of God. And so they come to Jesus and they say, one guy had a wife and the husband died and then he married her brother and then that guy died and then he married the next brother and it went on and on and on. And so when, he, when she dies and she goes into the afterlife, whose husband will she be? That's what they asked him. Well, first of all, they're liars and hypocrites because they don't even believe in an afterlife and they're liars and hypocrites because they don't even believe in the word. And so Jesus said, your problem is twofold. You don't know the word of God. And the second thing is, you don't know the power of God. And so they were deniers of the scripture and deniers of power. So Jesus had really nothing to say to them because they, wouldn't, they didn't even believe. And so what conversation are we possibly going to have? But he's having a conversation with a guy here named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's coming to Jesus by night, which means he wants more. He sees something in Jesus, and he realizes there's something about this guy that is of God. And so he comes to Jesus by night and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus was performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing lepers. And Jesus says to him, yeah, that's all fine, but let me talk to you about you. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And here's the, big, here's the rub. We try to discern spiritual things with natural minds. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. The Bible goes on to say the spiritual things are spiritually understood. And so Jesus is talking to him about being born again. He's a teacher of God's people. He should have known. He should have had a clue that Jesus was saying something important to him, but he didn't. And so he says, can a man be born again a second time? Because he's trying to understand spiritual things. He's trying to understand supernatural things with a natural mind, with human intellect. And this is quite often the problem within our culture. We deny God because we think we've got it all figured out. Intellectual idolatry is what the Bible would call it. Ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. Professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools. Huh? Can I get a witness? The Bible says that the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the message of salvation is foolishness to the Greek. In case you don't know, the Greek mind is what our whole university system is based on. The whole universe, our, our modern university system is based on a Greek method of teaching and understanding and philosophy. And God says that to the intellect, the spiritual things are foolishness. They don't make sense. 
God, was Jesus, God became man. Well, that makes sense to everybody, right? My mind completely understands that. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense to the heart, makes sense to the spirit, but not to the mind. He became, God became a man. Yes, he did. Born of a virgin. Okay. Don't know if I, that doesn't make sense. How's that possible? He lived sinlessly. Yes, he did. He was crucified. Yes, he was. He, you mean to tell me he rose from the dead? Yes, he did. I mean to tell you he didn't even, do, he didn't even die on the cross. He willed his death. He told himself when he died. Try that one on. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. He said, to Telestai it is done, and he gave up his spirit. You mean to tell me that happened? Yeah, he rose from the dead. Yes, he did. He ascended into heaven. If I put my faith in that and I surrender my heart to that, that I can be saved? Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It makes no sense at all. But it makes sense to your spirit, and it makes sense to your heart, because those words are spirit and life. They are not intellect. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. He didn't say believe with your mind. Dave Pavone, where are you? Are you in here? I saw you earlier. Oh, there he is. Me and Dave go back a ways, don't we? <laughs> we go back a ways. So I know Dave for years, and he is a friend of a friend, right? And so these friends come to me, and they go, man, you got to help us with our friend, man, Kevin. You know, this guy, he just hangs out in churches, but he's not saved, and all this other stuff. And he goes, you got to really talk to him, Kevin. you got to really talk to him. And so I'm like, all right, let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch. We go, we, we go to lunch. Dave and I and a couple other guys. Oh, Jared was with us. So we're sitting down here at lunch and talking to him. And I'm like, why don't you believe, Dave? And Dave goes into this whole thing. And he's like, this just doesn't make sense to me. It's like fairies and gnomes, you know? He's like, it's like a fairy tale. It's the same thing. I'm trying to imitate you. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. But, uh, you know, he's like, he's, he says it's all this other crazy stuff. He said, it makes no sense to you. And I said, I'm going to tell you what. You don't, you're not allowed to believe. You're not supposed to believe with your mind. It may not make sense to your mind. It's your heart. The heart is where the conversion comes from. And when I said that to you, bing, Dave looks at me and he goes, you mean I can believe without it ever having to make sense to my mind? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. And what happened? You gave your life to Jesus, didn't it? And stuff, stuff has progressively began to make sense. Stuff that you didn't understand now starts to make sense progressively. God doesn't reveal it to your mind. He reveals it to your heart. Understanding is gained we gain understanding once we accept and we receive Jesus into our heart. So Dave's a classic example of that. He's got a crazy testimony. His whole life's changed. Come on. I think we give a double high five on that right here. Boom. And Jesus answered to him and he says, you got to be born again. Nicodemus says, how in the world is this possible? And he says to you, I say it to you again. Unless you were born of water and spirits, you cannot be born. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it twice. If God says it once, we should listen. If he says it twice, you better pay attention. He's trying to emphasize a point. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. He said, you are born of the flesh. You must be born of the spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear the sound of it, and you can't tell where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, you're trying to understand something rationally that's spiritual just is. Just truth. Next slide. Nicodemus was a ruler. He was a politician. The Pharisees were the intellectual elites of their day. No one was smarter than these guys. These guys possessed all of the knowledge, all of the power. They were no yo's. Okay? In order to become a Pharisee, if you understand Jewish culture, they were to be taught the ancient Jewish culture. Your child, from the time they were able to talk, was taught the Word of God. They were instructed in the, in the Scriptures. And they were evaluated at specific stages of their life to see if they were able to proceed further. If you didn't, get, if you didn't make the cut, 
where you got to go fishing like Peter, okay? Peter's the guy, he didn't make the cut. Paul made the cut. And so the higher, the, the, the more proficiency they had in the word, the more they were able to understand and learn it, the higher they were able to go. Only the highest of the learned were even able to be even considered Pharisees. You didn't get there some, overnight. That wasn't somebody that somebody glad-handed you and just gave you a position as a Pharisee. You had to earn it. And so these guys were to know and understand the things of God or they couldn't even hold that position. That's how the Lord saw it. And then you look at a guy like Peter. So this is a culture that learned the text. You have a guy like Peter who was nothing more than a blue-collar worker, but he knew the word of God like crazy. If you ever read the things, read 1 Peter, read 2 Peter, read his understanding, read the book of Acts and see what Peter understood. He doesn't, he, he's basically the equivalent of an auto mechanic, nothing wrong with that, or a fisherman, nothing wrong with that. But yet he had possessed, he was in, so what God is saying from the smallest to the great, he wants the knowledge, his knowledge to be released. Nicodemus was a ruler, a politician, a religious leader. He came from a good family. He was wealthy. So not only if you were smart enough to become a Pharisee, you had to have the money. If you didn't have the money, you weren't going to go because these teachers cost money. They had to pay to be discipled. And so Nicodemus clearly came from a wealthy family. He had a tomb. Jesus, this is the tomb Jesus went to. He was a rich man. That's when the Bible says it was a rich man. And Jesus lied and was given. Nicodemus gave Jesus his tomb. And so he asked Pilate for the body. And he said, hey, I want the body. And he said, why do you want the body of the Nazarene? That's your family's tomb. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to tell you a joke here so you can laugh. Hopefully it'll come across funny. So I'm going, to put, I'm going to put Jesus in my family's tomb. He's like, man, you guys paid a lot of money for that tomb. Why do you want to put this poor Nazarene in there? And Nicodemus said, ah, it's only for the weekend. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> He's a religious leader, wealthy, came from a good family. Good, overall good person. He was just a good guy. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus said, not good enough. Not good enough. You mean to tell me I have money, I have pedigree, I have everything that I could have, I have position, I have influence, and it's not good enough? It's not good enough. Not good enough. This is Dr. So-and-so. He came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to see, right? And people give the guy a hard time, but I always point out he came to Jesus, didn't he? There's a lot of people that didn't come. Whether you come by night or you come by day, you come on your knees, however you come, you come. That's the truth. <laughs> It's not enough. Good deeds, family, education do not qualify you. Say it with me. I must, I must be born again. Born again. Oh, it just sounds so good. Born again. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to be born again? What? You can't save yourself. This is the implication. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is an inconvenient truth. Man is separated from God. Heaven is God's kingdom. Heaven is God's economy. Heaven is life in the spirit and the afterlife with him forever. Hell is eternal separation from God. That's what it is. Jesus qualifies this for us. This is an inconvenient truth and makes people very uncomfortable to even use the word hell. And we've gotten so uncomfortable with the word hell that our pastors don't even say it anymore. We don't even use the word. But Jesus used it over and over and over and over again. And he not only used the word, he told us what it looks like. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fire does not go out. And there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, why would he emphasize it? Jesus would emphasize it for two reasons. Number one, he wants you to know that it's a reality. And number two, he doesn't want anybody to go there. 
And this is why the Son came, ladies and gentlemen. God became man to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Many ways to God. Oh, really? Oh, really? Anybody fly on an airplane? Now, aren't you glad that the pilot doesn't go, you know there's many ways to fly on a plane. <laughs> I'm thinking of going wheels up today. What do y'all say? My co-pilot says we want to go inverted, which is upside down. But I'm thinking we, that's a little too risky, so we're going to just come in. When, there's one way to land an airplane, man. Wheels down, nose up, boom. Buddha didn't die for you. Allah didn't die for you. Krishna didn't die for you. L. Ron Hubbard didn't die for you. Jesus and Jesus alone died for you. If there was more than one way, then God sent his son to be brutally murdered for nothing. He was murdered, taking our place, the sin of the world upon himself. And he said, no one takes my life, I give it away. He experienced corruption, false accusation, brutality, name-calling, spitting, had the beard pulled out of his face, hung on a cross naked. There was no loincloth on him. The Romans were not that nice. They were professional executioners. And they wanted to shame you in the highest way. You've committed a crime against Rome, or in this case, they, he didn't commit a crime against Rome. He claimed to be God. They crucified him for blasphemy. They didn't crucify him for being a good man. They crucified because he said he was God. I don't know about you, but if I said I'm God, I'm running around saying I'm God, somebody's going to kill me. They're going to beat me, shove a crown on my head, whip me, pull my beard out. Not that there's a lot to pull, but they're going to pull my beard out, spit on me, do all this crazy stuff to me. I might back up off that for a minute and go, wait a second, I, I was just kidding there. <laughs> Time out. Time out. Psych, I didn't mean it, no. <laughs> he gave his life for you. You cannot save yourself. Christ died for sinners. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Sin is separation. Sin is found in two forms in the Bible, harmatia, harmatano. This is the original Greek. The one that condemns us is the one that's called offense. Harmatano means to offend, means to push away. That's what separates man from God. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon them, the, he has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The offense. We've offended God. We have shoved him away. Therefore, when you come to Jesus, you must acknowledge him. I need some Christian help here this morning. It's an L word. We use it here a lot. Jesus is a Lord. You have to acknowledge him as Lord because the offense that separates you is that which you say you're your own God. That's what you say. There are many ways to God. I shared it with first service. This is the height of our arrogance. We're so arrogant, we actually think that we can tell each other who God is. We're so arrogant, we're even more arrogant than that. We think that we are so smart, that we have reached the height, and we are so powerful that we can actually declare that there is no God. That's a pretty high opinion of ourselves, don't you think? That we are so prideful and so arrogant and so self-serving that we think we've reached the height of the world that where we say there's no God. The Bible says you've reached foolishness because the fool in their heart says there is no God. How would the scripture define the person who says they're no God? Well, our society would say well, they've evolved, man. They're just, they've ascended to a level of intellect that the rest of us just don't have. The Lord would say fool. The definition of a fool is the one who says there is no God. It's not God as you understand him to be. It's God who he declares himself to be. Jesus Christ, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is God in the flesh. Man has sinned. We've offended God. We've pushed him away. Here's the clue. We're all lost. So we're all lost. 
Somebody's like, oh, somebody's just like, I feel like you're talking to me. Guess what? We're all lost. If you could save yourself, you wouldn't need a savior. Hmm? If you could do it, you wouldn't need Jesus. Who are you kidding? Therefore, just as sin entered through one man, we're all descendants of Adam. It's important to understand this. I think our culture needs to understand this. There are not many races on the earth. There are many ethnicities. The Bible never refers to man in the differences that we have culturally, economically, socially, you know, genetically, not even genetically, but the colors of our skin. The Bible never relates to us as a race is. It relates to us as an ethnos. We are all descendants of Adam, all of us. Descendants of Adam and Eve. The word ethnos in the Greek, you know what it means? Someone not like you. That's all it means. So ethnicity simply means not like me. So Dave's not like me. You're my ethnos. I'm his ethnos. We're ethnic people, and that's how the Bible understands us. But what we need to understand is we're a commonality. We're descendants of one ancestor, and his name is Adam and Eve. Their names are Adam and Eve. And the Bible says sin entered through Adam. Therefore, what? We all get it. There's an infectious disease that entered our forefather, and it was transferred to all of us. Sin entered through one man, death spread to all, because all have sinned. I haven't sinned, Kevin. I don't even believe in sin. Really? <laughs> it's another university teaching. There are no absolutes. It's everything. You, what's right to you is not right to me, and what's wrong to me is not right to you. You know, all this old, you know, relativism is what it's called, moral relativism. So I always ask them, there are absolutely no absolutes? Are you absolutely saying there are no absolutes? That statement in itself is an absolute. Duh. Therefore, as one man's sin offense judgments comes to all, resulting in condemnation, even so one man's righteous act, that's Jesus. The Bible refers to him in this context as man. He is the son of man. Why? God became man because he loves you so much. He became like you in order to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He didn't become like you. He went beneath you. He didn't even just come onto your level. He came beneath you to serve you, to lift you higher. What God on the earth is that way? What God on the earth serves his servants? What God does that? Not one that I know of. None. But this one. That's what differentiates Christianity from all others, is we have a God who serves. We have a God who comes beneath to lift up. That's why it's such an offense to God when you reject his gospel. Because he has lowered himself and has humbled himself to such a degree and you wipe your feet on him. That's why it's an affront. It tells us in Hebrews, if we tread the Son of God underfoot, insult the Spirit of grace, treat the blood of the covenant or the blood of the cross as a common thing, there remains no appropriation for sin. So in other words, if you discount and cast off the gospel and cast off the work of Jesus, the only thing that remains, the Bible says, is fear of impending judgment. Ah, that's it. Well, Buddha's going to save me. Good luck with that. Allah's going to save me. Good luck with that. My good works are going to save me. How's that working for you? They call it the cosmic scale. You got more good deeds than bad? And how do you know? You don't know. But you can know in Jesus. That's right. So, so through, G, through Adam, the genetic code brings us death. When we become, so we're born of Adam in the flesh. This is what Jesus is talking to. When we become born of the spirit, all that Christ is, is transferred to us. You understand? So we're born fleshly sinners. When we receive Jesus, we're born spiritually righteous. We're born made right to God. We're born again. Truth. Next slide. 
God became man to undo the works of the first man. In Adam, we're lost. Here's the facts. We're hopeless condition. Right? You go to the doctor. We don't want to go to the doctor because we don't want any bad news. Well, this Jesus is the great physician. So while he may show you some bad news, you know what he's going to give you on top of that? Good news. Good news. Because that's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. You don't need somebody to tell you what the condition is in order to, so that you can find out what the solution to the problem is. Without Jesus, we're spiritually dead. What does that mean? You have no access to the divine world. You have no access to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit merely can work around you, but he will not work in you and he will not work upon you because you are not of his spirit. You're not born again. You can have access to spirits. I know many people who don't know Jesus and they have some crazy spiritual experiences. I had a guy say, come over to my house, do some bong hits with me, Kevin. We'll do some spiritual experiences. Well, first of all, I said, no, thank you. But I told him, to, <laughs> he's like, you want to know what my spiritual experience is about? I'm like, I don't doubt it, bro. I don't, I don't doubt we got gateways going on here. I don't doubt there's some spiritual stuff going on. I don't doubt it. But you don't have access to the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you. This is what's crazy to the Christian. He lives in you. He moves in you. He's alive in you. You're morally selfish without Jesus. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Your three favorite friends are me, myself, and I. <laughs> How do you know? Because that was me. Man is God. We believe man is God. So we're morally selfish. I just went into that. You're numb. Missouri is your life. The Bible says you're past feeling. Your conscience is seared. Neither in discerning right nor wrong. People experience a level of numbness. They just have no feeling. And all of a sudden they receive Jesus and they become born again. And all of a sudden they have feeling. They see colors again. They hear birds. There's a guy here. His name was Johnny. He said, uh, he said all he lived with was concrete and heat. He said, before I knew Jesus, I knew anger, I knew heat, and I knew concrete. He said, that's all I knew. And he said, when I received Jesus, he was like, what in the world? The world becomes alive. You're morally selfish. You're numb. You're angry and you don't know why. What? What? Without Jesus, you're angry and you don't know why. You are. You're lonely, you're guilty, and you have shame and confusion. We're going to sit right down on the living room couch here this morning. We're going to have a little talk. So the, here's the deal. Without Christ, there is no cure for your numbness. Without Christ, there is no remedy for your anger. Without Christ, there is no remedy for your loneliness. Without Christ, there is no remedy for your guilt, your shame, and confusion. But in the Spirit, when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you. So Christians can live, so you're Christian, you become born again. Your sins are forgiven. You're given, out, you're given the eternal life. And now, you're, two, now you're, you're one person, but you live in two worlds. So for the Christian, what it means is we've received the Holy Spirit. Now we have to walk in the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. That's, why, that's, that's, what, that's what constitutes a life change. So for the Christian, you say, I'm a Christian, and I feel numb. I'm a Christian, and I feel angry. I'm a Christian, and I feel lonely. To you, I would say, get in the Spirit. Get in the Spirit. Get in the Spirit. Just enter into the Spirit. Let the presence of God come in you and on you. You won't feel numb. You'll feel alive. Get in the Spirit. I've never met a person that's full of the Spirit who starts walking or enters into the presence of the Spirit, and they're angry. You might be angry before you get in the Spirit, and then you get in the Spirit, and you're like, oh, it's all right, man. It's all good. I don't know what I was thinking there. I was just, you get in the Spirit. I don't know anybody that's in the spirit that feels lonely. Nobody. If you're lonely, get in the spirit. Presence of God comes. He comes. 
Guilt, shame. I don't know anybody feel that, that enters the spirit. That, again, out of the spirit, in the spirit. I don't know anybody that gets in the spirit and they feel guilt, shame. There's no shame. There's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. You enter the spirit, man, boom, you don't feel guilty. You don't feel alone. You feel full. So to the Christian, you have access to the remedy. To the non-believer, there is no access unless you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you're given access to the Spirit. You understand that? This is what differentiates the Christians from the entire planet, is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're nothing more than a religious society that has a system of codes and beliefs. But in the Spirit, we are world changers. In the Spirit, we are a people that the world has no idea who we are. The Bible calls us peculiar. Why are you peculiar? Because you're in the Spirit. Right? So what we have to do is practice the presence. We have to practice as Christians getting into the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to the believer 24-7. Only if you want Him. He's not going to force Himself on you, but if you want Him, Holy Spirit, come. It's Carlos, your daughter. She comes up, he comes up to me and said, um, I'm blanking out, what's your daughter's name? Alexa, I knew it was an A. So his daughter comes up to me and she said, we were talking about the Holy Spirit last week. She goes, um, he said, Alexa wants to know who the Holy Spirit is. So I just laid hands on her. You know, she has faith in her heart, but I tell her, this is who the Holy Spirit is. And just let her, let the Holy Spirit move over. I said, do you feel that? She's like, wow. And I said, does it feel good? She's like, it feels really good. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be in the Spirit. That's a small piece of it. There's a whole lot more, but that's the, that's the, that's what you're experiencing in the Spirit. Anybody like that? Anybody want that? Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's right. It's yours. You, nobody else has it unless the, only the Christian is granted the Spirit. And if you don't, have the, you don't have the Spirit, you want the Spirit, you give your life to Jesus. Legally separated from heaven. What happens when I'm born again? What happens when you actually get, become born again? You're given life, not religion. Say it with me. Jesus gives life, not religion. It's a Greek word, zoe. It means life to the fullest. We understand, again, Greek differentiates life. One of the words for life is bios, which is biology. When you're dead, they consider you biologically dead. Jesus isn't giving you bios. He's giving you zoe, which is compound life, life to the highest. Again, you know what this feels like in the spirit. Get in the spirit. Woo! I feel alive. What do I do when I'm doing it? Ask the Lord for more. Give me more of this. I don't know what this is, but give me more of it. Ask him to release and heighten your experience with him. Christianity is experiential or it's nothing else. It's not a system of rules. It's not a system of doctrines. Doctrines are important. Word of God is important. But the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You can learn all the doctrines in the world, but the Bible says the life is in the spirit. Holy Spirit is what activates the word of God and makes the word of God alive and real. You get to experience the supernatural. Jesus comes in your heart, boom, something happens. You don't know what happened, but something happens, right? That's why it's a mystery. Like People are like, what happened to you? I have no idea. I gave my life to Jesus. Would you get religion? No, I didn't get religion. But there's something going on in me, and I'm not quite sure what's going on in me. Come on. Come on. Christian, if you haven't experienced this in a while, you need to do it. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Excuse me for a minute. <laughs> Next slide. All things become new. Aren't you glad? Stop seeing yourself as you were. In the spirit. Say it with me. When I'm in the spirit, that is the real me. That is the person heaven sees me as. 
That's right. In the spirit is the new you. All things become new. In the spirit, that's when you experience the reality of the newness of life. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Aren't you glad? Some of you, you need to see yourself as heaven sees you. We do a thing here called false IDs. I do it all the time. We even do a spiritual exchange on that. Some of you have been given false IDs. People have labeled you. They have told you who you are. You have told yourself who you are, and you walk around with fake IDs, living out of a fake identity of someone that someone else has told you you are. That's not who you are. Who told you that? And so God asked Adam in the garden, who told you that? Who told you you were a loser? Your Bible doesn't say that. Who told you you couldn't be saved? Your Bible doesn't say that. Who told you this failure is final? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. Huh? Who told you you're always going to be broke? The Bible doesn't tell you that. Who told you you're never going to be free? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. Fake ID, Christian. Somebody needs to go turn in some fake IDs today. Huh? And we need to ask Jesus to give us our true identity. Sons and daughters. Huh? Heirs of the highest. Heirs of an eternal realm. Huh? Stewards of his spirit. Stewards of his heavenly things. You will inherit that world. You inherit his kingdom. Fear not, little ones. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the joy of his heart. Do you know what's yours? We do a teaching on the prodigal son. You guys know the story. We've got the older brother. He's mad and jealous. And what's the father say to him? Here's your problem. Problem number one, you don't know how to party. That's his problem. Well, I can't believe there's a party. We're supposed to be religious and spiritual. You're having a party in there. <laughs> Second thing, he didn't know what was his. The father said, everything I have is yours. You've just never asked me for it. Ooh. It's already yours, Christian. Who told you it wasn't yours? Who told you the promises aren't for today? Who told you that? Who told you God doesn't heal? Who told you that? Who told you? Your father did not say that. Your Bible does not say that. A denomination told you that? Please. <laughs> like Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Are you teaching my people and you yourself don't have a clue? Uh-huh. A lot of pastors need to back up and shut up on some of the things that they're saying. Because they neither know the word of God, nor do they know the power of God. So they commit the sin of the Pharisee, and they commit the sin of the Sadducee. They don't know the word, they don't know power, huh? And then they're like Nicodemus, a teacher, but doesn't understand a thing. Oh. Woo, it's getting warm in here. I'm feeling that. <laughs> We're reconnected to the one who made you. We have access to the Holy Spirit. The Lord is releasing fresh increase of his Holy Spirit to a generation that wants it. There is a fresh outpouring, ladies and gentlemen. He is there. God is reviving and renewing the presence of his spirit within the church. Those who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. He's speaking. He's releasing. He's tired of religious hypocrisy. There is a world that is going south. There is a generation that is being lost. 
And the church isn't even sleeping. The church is, I don't even know what the church is doing. We're arguing over stupid things. Well, you got healed? That's of the devil. How do you know? I just know. So Jesus is making people sick, and the devil's the one healing. Who told you that? Some of you need to repent for your unbelief, and you need to repent for the paradigms in which you think and perceive God from. It's called idolatry. That's what it is. You're seeing God in a way that he is not. It is not a sin of condemnation, but it is definitely a sin that will cost you destiny. There are sins that cost us destiny, and there are sins that cost us eternal life. The sins that cost us destiny is called missing the mark. You make choices, you hold beliefs, you hold lies, and those lies are askew from the word of God, and so it causes you to miss where you're supposed to go. Habits and hang-ups. Sins that don't condemn you, but sins that cause you to miss the mark of destiny. How do you correct it? You repent. Lord, I am wrong. I am wrong. I don't know anything, Lord. You're the only good idea I have, so I'm going to get rid of all this stuff, and I'm going to come in like a child, and I'm going to allow you to teach me what I don't know. Huh? Yeah? Come on. You're cleansed morally and spiritually. You receive Jesus. There's guilt and shame with some of you, and you can't get rid of it. Isaiah says, though you watch with lie and soap, yet your sin remains. There is no natural remedy for what you carry on the inside. And then he says, but come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as wool. I will do for you what you cannot do for you. What kind of offer is that? Who offers you that? Nobody offers you that, but Jesus does. Anybody want to be clean on the inside? Huh? We get all dandy on the outside, but man, a lot of times we're so ugly and nasty on the inside. And we say, how do we clean that? You can't. Only the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ can cleanse you of that. What can wash away my sins? Come on, help me. That's right. You begin power over cycle. I'm almost done. It's power over psychological aspects affecting your life. You know you do not have power over fear without the Spirit of God. If you do not enter into the kingdom through Christ and you do not engage the Holy Spirit, the spirit of fear will dominate you now until you die. To the Christian, you must appropriate your authority. To the non-believer, you have no power whatsoever. None. You have no power over darkness. Darkness rules you. But in Christ, you have the authority. In Christ, you have the power. When you receive Jesus, you are given power over psychological aspects of your life. Fear, right? Self-doubt, uncertainty. Here's the big one, fear of man. Fear of man. What can free you? We are always so afraid what people think of us. There are people who are paralyzed by fear. You can't even get out of bed. You feel suffocating. The power of God is what frees you. The power of God. Christian, get in the spirit. You will not be afraid. You get in the spirit, you're like bold like a lion. You're like, I think I can run through that wall right now. And I'm serious. <laughs> then you get out of the spirit and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So get in the spirit, right? How do you become born again? This is a question. But I want to let you know this morning, you can be free from psychological effects, man. Here's again a big misnomer within the church, and we've got to understand this. We are spirit, soul, and body. Jesus, you're born again in the spirit. Spirit inhabits the body. We bring the flesh into subjection. But the mind, the will, and the emotions have to be renewed. The renewing of the mind. 
David said it's the restoration of the soul. We have to renew and restore the emotions. The biggest problem with Christians isn't spirituality, it's emotional. The, the, the damage is in the soul. The damage is in the motion. The damage is in the way we believe, our thinking, our mind. The damage is in our will, our incorrect choices, and the damage is in our emotions. Traumas and impulses and reactions that happen, come on, and you don't know why. You get afraid and you don't know why. You get mad and you don't know why. You get around certain people and they just freak you out and you don't know why. You hear a song and it stirs up all these memories and you feel all the emotions of all that and you don't know why. So I need to read my Bible. Oh, yeah. But there's a restoration that needs to take place within the soul. It's called inner healing. That's what it's called. Oh, I don't believe in it. That's all psychosomatic nonsense. I go, good luck. Sail away. I said this first service. I'll say it second service. Some of y'all I may never see you again, but that's why I want to share this with you. <laughs> a pastor cannot lead you into emotional health if they themselves have not experienced it. You say, pastors, need, pastors don't have emotional problems. Really? Who are you kidding? Do you read the, do you read the papers? You see these people fall and go down and go down and go down, and you go, what's wrong with them? They had a moral failure. I don't understand that. How come that guy's smoking crack with a bunch of prostitutes in, the court? in New York? There's a guy. He died. They found him. Pastor's dead. Big church. Smoking rocks. In a hotel room with hookers. In like a 5,000-member church. What? How is that possible? Because he has unchecked issues within his soul. Oh, he needed to read his Bible more. No, 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 no. He just needed to pray a little more. Did he? No, he needed an accountability group. Here's one for you. I'm going to leave this one with you. Say this with me. No measure of accountability can make me the person I do not want to be. We can surround you with an army of accountability partners, but it's going to help you if you don't want to be the person that that, per that, 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 that is. No measure of accountability can make you become the person you don't want to be. And there's a Twitter. Throw that one out there. All of sin. How do you become born again? How is this possible? It's easy. Jesus dropped the bar on the floor. He did all the heavy lifting, and he dropped it on the floor. And you know what he asked you to do? Can you take a step? It's like this. This is how to become born again. Take a step. It's a step within the heart. That's all it is. It's that easy. Anybody can be born again. It's that easy. It's like an elevator. Free ride, man. But somebody paid a lot to put that in. Jesus paid a lot to put this in. He paid everything he had. This promise is only activated with your participation. You have to give your heart. All of sin, we're all sinners. We fall short of the glory, the glory of God's goodness. No one, can, no one can receive, and there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us are right. God demonstrates his love towards us that when we were sinners, Christ died. So the truths are we're lost, we're hopeless, we're helpless, but Jesus loves us. We are his creation. We are the apple of his eye. He loves us, Bible says, while we were yet sinners. Even when we hate him, even when we're far from us, he loves us from afar, Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. Even when you don't love him and your mind is so far from him, he still loves you. He is seeking and reaching towards your highest good. That's who he is, man. Is he that good? Yep. Let's just say this. Jesus, Jesus. is better than I think. He loves me more than I think. He is for me more than I think. 
Therefore, I must change the way that I think. Mm, come on. Yeah, we can give a clap. <laughs> All have sinned and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal. The full payment of a life without Christ is death. Death of the spirit, death of the soul, death eternally. But God's desire is to give us life. Next slide. And that life comes in Christ. How easy is it? What do I got to do, Kevin? What do I got to do? Five Hail Marys and six Our Fathers? That's what I got to do? Nope. You know what he asks of you? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He didn't say believe in your mind. Here we go. We go back to the rationale. He didn't tell it had to be rational to you. It's irrational. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you might be saved. No, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, God takes you at your word. The heart opens the door for him to come in, and the word is what binds you to him. What happens when you get married, ladies and gentlemen? There's a confession. There's an exchange of words that binds the couple one to the other. It's the same concept. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's Zechariah, Old Testament for you. The Lord says, return to me that I may return to you. There's some of you in the room, maybe you've known Jesus a long time, and, you've not, and you say, like, I, I feel like he's far from me. Well, just come back. Come back, right? Just, just return. He said, I don't know. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. See, you don't know what I've done. I don't, I don't really care what you've done, and neither does he. You read the prodigal son? You guys read the prodigal son? He acknowledged before the father that he, was, that he had missed it. And so the only thing the father accepted was the, was the repentance. He didn't accept the false identity. When the son started to step in, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, the father cut him off. He will accept the repentance because repentance is due to him. If you've missed it, you should go, Lord, I've missed it. I've been away. I screwed up. I don't know what I was doing. And he's like, I know. Come on home. That's how it works. Yeah. Thank you, Lucas. But he will not accept false identities from Christians. So if you're coming back to him and you want to give your heart back to him again or you want to return into his presence or right alignment with him, he still loves you. He's never stopped loving you. He will not accept false identities from you. Jesus says, return to me that I may return to you. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray together as a church. We're all going to pray together. Nobody knows this but you and Jesus. You know if you've given your heart to him or not. Well, Grandma was a Christian. Doesn't matter. Uncle Billy was a Christian. Doesn't matter. I was raised in a Christian home. Doesn't matter. You yourself must confess. So we're going to pray together as a church. We're going to pray together as a group. We're all going to pray this prayer. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, all you got to do is open your heart. So how do I do that? Come on. You know how to do that. Open your heart. It's an openness of your being. Just open your being and pray the prayer with us. Right? Let's do it. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life all that I am, 
I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, I'm on. Come on. Yeah. I just leave this with you. What you need to grow, we, give, we, don't, you know, we do our best. We lead you to Christ. But what you have to do is connect. You have to connect to a church, the idea of a church. And you know, listen, I'm, you're more than welcome here, all y'all, okay? Tier Texas style, we all y'all welcome here. But what, what, what the ultimate goal is, is that you connect to a family. So when you give your life to Christ and you're born again, some of you, you keep wandering because you're not connected to a family. Others of you, you've just been born, so you need to come into a household or a family that can nourish you, nurture you, and uplift you and encourage you. So if you receive Jesus today, or if you're not connected to a church, you need to be connected to a church, period. And that's where that, that, what it does is it prevents. You say, there's not a lot of good churches. Well, keep looking. You're going to find one, okay? We do our best. We're not perfect, but we do our best. You're more than welcome to come here and be a part of what we're doing and grow into us as a family. But if not here, if you don't like my shirt or something, I, I understand. <laughs> the idea is to connect where you can grow, all right? So let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. Come on, receive it. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. What is that? Oh, there's cake. Yeah, yeah, cake. Goodies. Hang out. Enjoy each other's company. Blessings.